What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning Wisecracks Movie Podcast. My name is Jared. I am back, back in the fold, and I'm very excited to be back. And with me, as always, is the Wisecrack crew. We got Michael. Michael, welcome. Hey, good to be here. Good to be here. And today, we're talking about the 2020 movie Sonic the Hedgehog, directed by Jeff Fowler, starring James Marsden, Ben Schwartz, and Jim Carrey. And now you might be saying to yourself, how are they going to talk about this movie? Well, goddammit, <laughs> we are going to do it. Why would they say that? I don't know. Uh, well, I don't yeah. know. But up top, I want to hear not only what did you think of this movie, but what Sonic games have you played? Oh, such so this is a confession right off the top. I'm not an active gamer. I fell off pretty young. I would say any Sonic game made up until about 99 I've played. Oh, um, that's still quite a few. Yes. Now, if, if, I, if I could remember the names, I would, but that was 21 years ago. So in the time that I have not played Sonic, uh, what is that, 21 years ago? God, I'm old. Um, <laughs> a child could have grown up and taken a drink, so I don't really know that one. It's horrible. I know that the last time I played a Sonic game I liked a lot, it was a Sega Genesis one where I put the cartridge on top of the machine. This is embarrassing. Oh, stuff. you're talking about Sonic and Knuckles? Oh yeah, that one's great. Sonic and Tails, one of the one of the ones I think had both them in it. Sonic and Knuckles had a weird thing where you had to like put the second cartridge above yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I just will say this. As much as I'm not an active Sonic head now, as a kid, I was way more Team Sonic than Team Mario. Mm-hmm. Um also I was more of a Pepsi than a Coke person. I don't know what that says about me. Maybe mm-hmm. I like off-brand things a little more. Mm. Um so that's what I think about the games. The movie, I'll start with this. The children in the theater with me loved it. And okay. I love nothing more than for the youth of this nation to feel happy. <laughs> um so I'm just going to say that right off the top. I did not enjoy it as much as the children in the room. Oh, okay. Um, well, I mean that's th- you're, yeah. an, you're an adult. Yes, I'm an adult, and, and this is a movie that I understand that it got made. I don't quite understand <laughs> why it got made. And well, it's doing quite well. It's doing well, and I, I would love for us to maybe think a little bit about, about why it did well. I, I'll say this. That's hard to talk about it. The first hour of the movie, I was thinking to myself, like, what is happening? Why did this get made? The third act, I enjoyed. Huh. I truly found some enjoyment in the end of the film. Once, Once everyone gets to San Francisco... I liked it more. Maybe that means I'm a coastal elite and everything that happened <laughs> in small town Montana, I couldn't relate to. And then once we hit the big city, uh, I liked it more. But there was there was some moments in the film. Okay. Yeah. Fair what enough. did what did you think? I uh, And also, no, you have to say this too. Do you have a favorite Sonic game? I mean, I probably would say Sonic and Knuckles, the same one that you said. I mean, look, I am an active gamer. But if you're an active gamer, I think you would agree that it hasn't been a great last 10 to 15 years to be a Sonic fan. Oh, has it been that big of a drop-off? It's it's been kind of bad. I mean, I played both Sonic Adventures for Dreamcast, Sonic Adventure 1 and 2. I remember enjoying both of them, although I remember Sonic Adventure 2, this is for the Dreamcast, had some bad technical issues. Um, It seems like there's another Sonic the Hedgehog every once in a while. Of course, I have not played, but I'm very aware of the infamous Sonic 2006 where Sonic falls in love with a human woman and it's really awkward and everyone hates it. Um, But no, I have not played a Sonic game in quite some time. Can I ask you this as well before you tell me about the movie? Did you watch any of the Sonic television shows from the early 90s? Yeah, matter of fact, (laughs) uh, I did. And there's a shout out or I guess an illusion. You know, I'm sure there, by the way, to 
to go back to what Michael said about yeah. not being the biggest Sonic fan, like I'm sure there are a ton of references to the games that I did not pick up on because again, Same. I haven't played since the old school ones. Yeah. I think I might have gotten there was a Sonic game for the Game Boy Advance that I might have played. There are so many of them. I mean, if there are over 100 Mario games, there's at least 30 to 40, maybe 50 Sonic games. I, I, quite a bit. I looked it up earlier today, and I was shocked by how deep the Wikipedia page goes for this Okay. Stuff. So I liked the movie more than I thought it would. When the first trailers came out and they had the quote-unquote bad Sonic design, I was like sitting back and thinking to myself, man, I wish they would just keep the bad design because the movie is going to be so bad. I would yeah. rather it be tragically bad rather than just bad, bad. But it actually was better than I thought it was going to be. And when you go into a movie with rock-bottom expectations yeah. and you end up being you know, surprisingly stimulated for a solid 90 and that's another thing yeah it's a cool 90 minutes and that means something in my book after having to watch the irishman for three and a half hours <laughs> but i liked it more than i than i thought it would the scenes with robotnik dancing or that scene with robotnik that dancing was awesome. was awesome jim carrey i just it was so nice to see him doing like dumb and dumber facial impressions and seeing that kind of return to comedic form um and then the movie itself is like some bizarre mix of Superman, Frankenstein, E.T., and road trip movies like Pee-wee's yeah. Big Adventure. And I kind of kind of got a kick out of it. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the, the Carrie stuff. And that's something I think I was saving because that's maybe the one big talking point I have for later. But uh, I, I found myself going on a journey with Jim Carrey's Dr. Robotnik because at first I was pretty, not put off, but it was a lot. Um, and it was a, a sort of tonal shift for the film because mm. up until that point, everything kind of has this sweet tone except for Sonic, but we're fine to have our one fish out of water character. Uh, when we meet Dr. Robotnik, uh, just really full on. It was like oh, Ace yeah. Ventura times 11 yeah. with like some weird tech fascist tendencies mixed in. <laughs> um, but throughout the film, I found that character and that performance very interesting. And I think, and I'm going to save this till later in the show, I think that the core of what could have made the film a lot better was contained in the kind of aesthetics around that character. Hmm. And I think, for me personally, the dance sequence gets at another direction I think the film could have gone, and, and maybe will go, because it looks like, and we'll get to this, that this will not be the last Sonic movie we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I imagine Based on some hints and the fact that it's making money. Well, that's the real hint. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> all, all the artistic stuff is out the window, because I think it made like $70 million its first weekend. I think, it, yeah, it, that must be the highest grossing video game movie weekend. It is, it is. Okay, and yeah. then, too, you know, we are in the month uh, that the film industry calls dumpshuary, where all the shitty films are dumped in February, award season's over, uh, no one really cares right now. So to do that well in February, a time where a lot of crap movies are being shoved down our throat or attempted to be shoved down our throat, is is a good sign. I'll go one step farther and I'll say, even though you and I are probably not ecstatic about this movie, mm -hmm. I hope it does really, really well, because I want this to be the game movie that makes it so that everyone starts making video game movies. Yeah. Like the Uncharted movie has been in development hell for so long. There's been talks of a Mass Effect movie. Mm -hmm. They've been talking about making a Metal Gear movie for I don't know how long. If someone is willing to do it right, like people have been doing comic book movies right for so long, then I think we're maybe cinema is in, in for another kind of renaissance, a commercial renaissance at least. Well, and I'll um, even say as someone that didn't love this movie, I I think they can do something. I don't think all, I think all hope is not lost. Yeah. I think there was enough good and once again we talk about this a little bit more later where i could see a sequel that was fun yeah. um, and took some of the best parts of this 
and maybe worked around what the audience responded to. And we know this is a film that responds to audience reactions because it got delayed and remade because of those reactions. Yeah. But I think there could be something there. See, I hate this. You're already talking to me into liking it more than all I right, thought well, I did. Uh, we just got started. Before, all right, <laughs> let's, uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, let's dive into a recap. So after a tragic separation from his winged mother figure, a young Sonic the Hedgehog is transported to Earth with special rings that enable him to escape Earth should anyone try to take his powers. In his new community of Green Hills, Sonic lives vicariously through Officer Tom Wachowski and his wife Maddie. When Sonic's loneliness drives him to reach a speed that kills the whole town's power, the military sends in the eccentric Dr. Robotnik to investigate. In a failed effort to escape Earth, Sonic loses his rings through a portal to San Francisco and teams up with Tom to evade Dr. Robotnik and get the rings back. After some unpleasant run-ins with Robotnik, Tom and Sonic join up with Maddie, while Robotnik uses a strand of Sonic's hair to fuel his most powerful machine yet. Sonic retrieves the rings. Right before he's about to leave Earth, Robotnik attacks and chases Sonic through San Francisco, Paris, the Great Wall, etc., until the final showdown in Green Hills, where, inspired to protect his friends, Sonic turns into... Supersonic, I think? Although I've always known as Supersonic to be yellow. And banishes Robotnik from Earth. Tom decides to stay in Green Hills and creates a home for Sonic in the attic, while Robotnik plans his escape from Mushroom Land. End of movie. Wow. Yeah. I will say as well, before we keep going, I checked the chat a little bit. A lot of people are very excited that you're here. You oh, should just know that. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And there was one one person that said something about male pattern baldness that I don't know if it was aimed at me or not. But if so, oh, man, I'm, it might be aimed at me. I mean, shit, look at that. right. What there. are you? I would what kill for that. I would take uh, if I would take one lock of that hair. I would do a dance in my my mobile laboratory and I would use that gorgeous ginger lock. To change my life. Oh, well. You are my Sonic. Okay, well, next time I get a haircut, I'll let you know. And I'll be a less fascist Robotnik. Well, great. That was such a good summary. Uh, I'm very excited to get into this because I think you're going to convince me to like it more than I did. Before, I wanted to give a shout out to the sponsor that's helping make this all possible, which is Skillshare. Now, I don't know how you're feeling thus far in your 2020, Jared, but something I'm trying to do more is is work on developing good habits, Mm. uh, getting better routines. I kind of am someone that works... Uh, in really crazy and inconsistent ways. So Skillshare is great because it gives you a lot of options to learn new stuff, get your life together, uh, especially if you're a creative person or someone that sort of interested in graphic design or photography. Skillshare has tons of courses for you, so you can learn things uh, from graphic design, photography, web development, even crafts if you're into the crafting Mm. scene. Um, Now, a course that I checked out that I think is really cool is called Real Productivity, How to Build Habits That Last with Thomas Frank. Uh, now, oh, I like that guy. Yeah, as uh, a YouTube guy. Yeah. Um, now, if you've read any Aristotle or David Hume in your life, you know that habit is really important. Habit mm. shapes who we are in our sort of like moral and ethical fabric. So the idea of a course that teaches you how to build the sort of habits that will make you work more efficiently and productively is awesome. And I think something about uh, learning good habits rather than just beating yourself up for not working right, which is what I do all the time, sounds great. Um, so that's a course that I'm checking out. It might work for some of you, but if not, there's definitely other stuff on Skillshare that you might love. Now, one of the best parts about this is that it's really affordable, especially compared to taking a class at a college or community center or something. An annual subscription will take you back less than $10 a month. 
And depending on what town you live in, you can get a coffee for $10. So yeah, certainly that's one fancy town, coffee yeah. for a lot of learning. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, you can get two months free of premium membership right now by going to Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack. That's Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack. So why not learn something new? Yeah. Uh, whether it's making your work life better, teaching a new creative skill, whatever it might be. It makes way more sense than, I don't know, like taking a vacation or going to the gym. Yeah. These things are fleeting. One of the things I like about Skillshare is not only do they have classes taught by real, legit mm-hmm. professionals, like I've plugged a, a class before by uh, the woman the woman who wrote The Orchid Thief. I can't remember her name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Her, yeah. Her, the creative nonfiction Yeah, class. the creative nonfiction yeah. class, but also people on YouTube. I know that Thomas Frank, who yeah. I can vouch for, is a great guy and a really smart guy, has a great class on there. And I'm pretty sure that Philip from In a Nutshell also has yeah. one on animation. So, I mean... Skillshare's got the goods from people who know what they're talking about. Yeah. And then once again, two months free membership right now if you use our link. So once again, go to Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack today. Start your free two-month premium membership. Okay. Um, now that that's said. Now I get to try to I guess we have to get into that. that I guess. The movie's uh, pretty yes. good. All right. The first thing I want to talk about, and I think this is probably the cleverest thing about the movie, is the character foils. Um so we have three main characters that all their emotional arcs always kind of work in puzzle pieces together. And I think this is actually quite clever uh, screenwriting, especially for, and we'll talk about this later as well, when you're adapting something that doesn't really have a plot or at least much yeah, of a plot. Yeah. Uh, so we have Sonic. Sonic yearns for connection, specifically human connection. And um, it's clever. I really like how they tie his emotional arc to his penchant for speed because everybody knows that Sonic is fast. Uh, So at the very beginning of the movie, he says, to be honest, it feels like I've been running my whole life. He's never been able to slow down and establish intimacy with anyone. I really like the scene where Sonic is playing baseball with himself because it's both a joke on speed, which is an obvious motif through the film, but also further further establishing his loneliness. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what he struggles with throughout the film. Yeah. and then his foil is Robotnik, whereas Robotnik thinks of humanity as an inadequate, mm-hmm. inefficient blip in the evolutionary progress. And he's got so many great lines that are so well delivered throughout the movie. So Jim Carrey says, you know what I love about machines? They do what they're told. They follow their programming. They don't need time off to get drunk and put the boat in the water. And that later he so says, good. yeah, human beings are stupid and unreliable and I care little about them, but my machines are diligent, relentless. They're everything to me. And then uh, later he's referencing Sonic when he says, why would you sacrifice your life for this thing? That's why I don't have friends. Next thing you know, you're somebody's best man. They want you to have the wedding out of town like nobody has anything better to do. Uh, oh, and then so, That one hit me really hard because I had to see this movie after coming back from an out-of-town wedding. Oh, okay. So, really, I thought, really I thought you were about to tell me that your wedding is in fucking Honolulu or something No, no, like no, that. no. I was coming back from a desert <laughs> wedding. I was like, this movie gets me. Yeah. Um, and so I think this is really interesting contrast is like Robotnik being the smartest man alive mm-hmm. sees other humans as annoying inferiors, whereas Sonic, the fastest thing alive, doesn't really claim superiority and appreciates humans for their good qualities. Um, and then there's one other quality about Robotnik that makes him a great foil for Tom, and that's Robotnik's obsession with achievement. Mm-hmm. So he's always talking about how superior he is, whether he's superior to the military commandos, or he says things like, I was spitting out formulas while you were (laughs) sipping up formula or something he says to the cop, um, that this idea that achievement usurps connection. Yeah. And we have the Tom character, uh, Tom Wachowski, played by, well, what's his name again? James Marsden. James Marsden. Thank you, Cyclops. His his eyes were just haunting me for days. (laughs) Um, And he 
is stuck somewhere in the middle of the two of them because he wants to leave his small town mm-hmm. behind to deal with, quote, real city problems. He says he's always felt more like a babysitter than a real cop because in Green Hills, I suppose the most he ever does is give out speeding tickets. Again, the speed motif I think is pretty clever. Uh, Sonic tells him nothing is more important than protecting the ones you care about, and at the end, he decides to affirm human value over achievement, being a hotshot big city cop, mm-hmm. thereby rejecting robotics philosophy. So they, they have this interesting triangle of main characters that all kind of feed into each other's emotional arcs. Not that Robotnik really has an arc necessarily, but at least what he represents runs counter to our two protagonists in a pretty, what I would say, pretty clever way. Yeah, and I think to get back to the fact that I, I don't like going out of town for weddings, <laughs> uh, I was having a conversation with a guy that worked in technology in Silicon Valley at this wedding over a couple of overpriced Bud Lights. And we were talking about the relationship between technology and the humanities mm. and this idea that what he sees in the tech industry is people that are so obsessed with efficiency and automation and technology that there's a lack of appreciation for the humanities broadly construed mm. and this world in which, okay, we can get algorithms or robots to do all of these things, but like, can they write a poem or come up with a song or make a painting? All these sort of things that make our core human. And hearing you say that... God, you're making me wish that Robotnik was a Silicon Valley dude rather than a government dude. I know. Well, there's there's some overlap there because he seems yeah. kind of like a rogue contractor or something mm. like that, like a black ops type person that they like fly in after the war is over. Mm-hmm. Like one of those... Uh, I forget the name. Blackwater? Like, yeah, Blackwater. The companies, they, they, they came to Iraq and stuff afterwards and made some money and did a great job. But uh, I used to roommate with a Blackwater dude. Really? He was hardcore. Wow. Ones were off air. We should talk about this because I think he, there's probably some system to <laughs> get us in jail. But no, hearing you say that, I think it gets to something interesting because like, what does, and just to reiterate what you said, what does Robotnik really want at the end? The power of the quill from Sonic. What does Sonic want? And not to spoil the film for anyone, but he wants a high five. Yeah, the the pivotal moment and uh, of the film is is him getting a a high five from his buddy. He wants a moment of human connection. He wants a a night on the town. He wants a goofy road trip. He wants these things that are fundamentally human. Yeah. Um. And I do think the contrast you set up is good. And I'm getting mad because right now I'm talking myself into liking this film even more. <laughs> uh, and then I think the the triad you set up with with Tom, right, is the name of the yeah yeah. Um, the Tom character who thinks he wants to go live in the uh, sort of uh, technological utopia of San oh, Francisco. Oh, there we go. They did bring it in. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So he wants to run to Silicon Valley, but knows that he's more of a, uh, was it called Green Valley? Green Hills. Green Hills. Dang it. If it was Green Valley, that would work much better with the Silicon yeah, Valley. I think Green Hills for. is, I believe. It uh, is. A, God, someone don't kill me if I get this wrong, but I think it's the name of the first level in one of the first Sonic games. It is. Okay. I really think this is true. Okay. <laughs> so don't be mad at Jared. Be mad at me if this is wrong. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to say who someone else in this room is nodding their head, and it's one of the smartest people I know. Okay. So we should be good. Um, but yeah, so I think there was some good, good emotional stakes there in terms of those ideas. I did think, though, that the the emotional journey at times felt a little bit shallow or underdeveloped. Now, I say this against the backdrop of the fact that I think the small children in the theater who were loving it are probably the primary audience mm-hmm. for the film mm-hmm. and, and not us. Um, but I don't know. In, in so much as a high five at the end of the film is kind of cute and simply symbolic, it's also like friendship saves the day. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that, but I would also say that 
I don't think that this movie needs to be 90 minutes long and not a minute longer. And yeah. and uh, maybe there could have been some scenes added that added to that emotional weight. But I guess kind of going back to my initial cynical view mm-hmm. of the movie, I never really thought it was going to be great. And so I think the fact that they got something that was entertaining for all 90 minutes and was able to emotionally connect on somewhat of an intellectual level as well yeah. as with kids, I think that's kind of the best case scenario it is and this is i'm gonna make an unfair comparison here but i think one of the great things about like a pixar movie is often there they subtly sneak in emotional depth that on the surface level will speak to a curious 11 year old yeah but then will tug at the heartstrings of the 39 year old parent yeah who is who is in the audience as well and i think there is something i just think there was a little more meat on the bone of this theme of kind of the alienation of the Sonic character, the desire for friendship and community. Um, I saw one review, and I forget who it was. Whatever. I'm not stealing your idea. I'm just saying what it is. But who talked about, like, you know, you could read this as a critique of what technology is doing to all of us. Are we all just in our own little holes with all of our stuff on our own all day and not really connecting with humans anymore? But I think there's Mm. potentially more meat on the bone there. Mm, yeah i mean i would agree with that but maybe i'm asking too much i don't know i didn't see detective pikachu but i remember but alex saw it and he was telling me the same thing about it It was like almost so Mm -hmm. smart did you see it no i did not yeah you said it was like almost so smart and i I mean i haven't seen the movie so i can't really get into the uh specifics but um yeah i agree with you i think that uh the way that the robotnik character interfaced with technology really could have given us a little bit more to work with, especially considering we have such a great contrast between Robotnik's orientation towards other human beings versus uh, Tom, who believes that there's nothing, or who Tom, who eventually gets convinced by Sonic that there's nothing more important in life than yeah. protecting the ones you love. Um, and yeah, no, but I, I agree with you. I agree with you there. Do you think there was enough done in terms of origin? Because I'm a sucker for a good origin story. Okay. And I did feel with both Sonic <laughs> and Robotnik, Sonic especially. So Sonic, like, that was like, I'm not, I was like, whoa. It was a lot. <laughs> Where's the bir- Okay, bird person. So like, as far as I know, this long claw character is not a part of the video not game. Not that world. I know of. Okay, so so we, 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 we start and Sonic's running fast. There's a magical owl that he calls his Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes. So when they say that, we're like, oh, this person's going to die soon. And then is chased by a bunch of like ninja squirrels, and then they kill Longclaw. We don't know what Longclaw is, what she does, what the purpose is. We don't know what Sonic's training is, and we don't know why Speed would leave this this group to get him. And then the the way the rings came in were interesting as well. I just feel like that all didn't do enough. And I think if anything, the deeper the origin story, sometimes the more we can we can show. Uh, the, the fruit of that, and I think the same thing with Robotnik. He mentioned, you know, that he was an orphan and he got punched by a bully once. Yeah, I'm of a split mind about this origin thing. On the one hand, it really just seemed like a shoe in. Actually, you know what? Can I use this question to transition into our next segment? I guess you can. Yes. Unless you had more to talk about. I mean, just in general about the movie? Well, because this is, uh, I want to do a little segment about adaptation, and I think that what you're speaking to yes. kind of overlaps with one of the things I was going to say. Let's get into it. Okay. So, guys, I'm introducing a new segment wow. about adaptations. Clever or not so clever. So I'm going to be interviewing Michael here, 
and oh, I'm going no. to give him what I think is likely perhaps a thought process that goes into making some of the decisions that they make, especially since, I mean, Michael mentioned earlier that it's an unfair, unfair comparison to compare it to Pixar. And it's not only because Pixar is some of the greatest storytellers of our time, but also because Pixar functions on a level where they're not really beholden to IP that is in a completely different medium. Yeah. So Before we get into it, can I say one thing? Yeah. I guess I made everyone mad um, because I called the thing squirreled, but they're in, um, I'm not going to say this right, they're echidinas? Echidnas. Echidnas. So it's an echidna. Oh, oh, tribe. oh, yeah, because they look like Knuckles, who's an echidna. Okay. So once again, genuine <laughs> apologies, but I did say at the top, I don't know if anyone tuned in late, I don't have a big background here. So apologies, they're an echidna tribe. God, you don't know what an echidna is? I know. I there's only one echidna I've ever seen in my life, and it's Knuckles. I don't I don't know what one really okay. looks like in real But genuine life. apologies, thank you for the correction, but I'm excited to get into this new segment. Okay. All right. So at adapting Sonic the Hedgehog. You're a screenwriter. You get hired to adapt something that doesn't really have a story. It's more of an iconic piece of culture that has images that resonate among people for generations. So, first challenge. You've got a non-human character that has to dialogue with celebrities. So, they go the Superman route. A space creature with special powers sent to Earth by his dying parental figure. Clever or not so clever? <laughs> See, because I thought like that whole first minute and a half origin was just an excuse to contextualize some of the visuals you see in the original video games of like, yeah, yeah that's what that means. It's not Earth. It's a different planet. But I visually loved the opening so much that I would have rather stayed in that world mm. or... Stayed in that world for the first third of the film and then and then cut away. Um, mm. But I think that would have been interesting. And I would have loved to see Sonic interact more with characters in his own world. I agree. I actually am really curious about the echidnas. Yes, if I too. one of them was Knuckles. Yes. I, as, a, as a, I don't want to say expert, but as an expert on echidnas. <laughs> I'm making fun of myself, to be clear. I'm not making fun of anyone else. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I would have rather seen... I mean, part of me would rather see just a fully animated film that takes place in that world. You know, you might have sold me on that. Yeah. I think. And then maybe maybe then you end the first film with what happens at the beginning where Sonic gets dropped off on Earth. You end with an and interaction. Then, then the sequel, we get to see that Like Sonic place. goes to Earth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then you we, might, you then might we, have sold me on that. It certainly would have been like a story. trippier film. That would have been cool. Well, and we can get into this maybe, but I think the, the elements that work the best were the trippier elements. Mm-hmm. The and, and I know we're in the middle of the game right now, but okay. but some of the yeah you know what it's get, get the game right. I'm sorry for speaking no no it's okay second thing said character that you have to adapt is a talking hedgehog how does one incorporate said hedgehog onto Earth they make his arc how his uniqueness alienates him from having friends and making him lonely clever or not so clever not so clever okay I don't know like what he's unique because he he runs fast. I mean, he's well, unique because he's an he's an alien creature. There's that's always going to be a, an awkward hang at first. But the thing about Sonic is the character of Sonic is always really snide and always really confident. Yeah. So how do you not betray that, but still give him an inner conflict? And I think that loneliness, especially once again, since it's not a fully animated film with Sonic talking to Tails and Knuckles and yeah. 
all the other weird characters that they've added since then. There's one with a fishing pole, big one. Someone in the comments probably remembers. Um, but because it's him talking with real humans, I think it actually is pretty clever to make it about loneliness because he, the movie demands that we have one hedgehog and a bunch of humans. And so it would only make sense that he's lonely. Now, I am going to make a huge stretch here, and I highly doubt that this was intentional, but I got some Frankenstein vibes from the, the way that Sonic, at the beginning, wants to be part of the Wachowski family yeah. and kind of live vicariously through their relationship. Uh, so at the beginning, he watches their relationship through a window and watches the movie, this movies that they watch. He even gives a shout-out to Keanu Reeves, which mm-hmm. I appreciated very much. In Frankenstein, the extremely lonely monster finds a hovel next to a cottage and looks in at the family's going-ons through a crack in the wall and eventually pleads to the family to be his friends, but they shoo him out. I was kind of thinking that there would be, like, a scene where Sonic looks into the water to see his reflection and, like, he's like feels like an abomination, but that never happened. Uh, but, yeah, I was, I don't know. I just, you know I, love, I, I love that book. Yeah. So. After hearing your explanation there, I'm going to revisionist history. Okay. All right. That was cool. it was better than I, I, I give it credit for, if sure. Okay. All right. These next two are a little bit more, they're like, they're, they're mini adaptation okay. choices. All right. So you got Jim Carrey to be in your movie to play Eggman, who is called Eggman because he's rotund. Jim Carrey is not rotund. Mm-hmm. So instead of being round, he has drones that are shaped like eggs, making him an Eggman. Clever or not so clever? I think so, too. Yeah. I, I think so, Why too. Why not? It was fun. You, you needed him to be that character. They drew the aesthetics out pretty well. Um, but by being more Robotnik than Eggman in that sense, his flying eggs were perfect. It was a fun I, nod. I think that the fact that he physically looks nothing like Robotnik. I mean, even though Robotnik is a cartoon character yeah. with basically legs that are stick thin and a body that is gigantic. Yeah. Uh, you would still expect him to be a fatter actor, but the fact that they went with Jim Carrey, it just, I don't know, it works. It was great. All right. Here's one. You can even call bullshit on this one. All right. Visual motif to draw Sonic to Tom. Sonic is associated with rings. Tom is associated with ring-shaped donuts. Clever or not so clever? Or you could say bullshit or deliberate. What do you think? I'm going to say bull- bullshit. Bullshit. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if, if the Donut Lord thing was meant to be that much. I thought it was just a funny riff on I, cops. I mean, it's, a, it's a visual motif. I don't think it has any yeah. meaning. But I think you don't think yeah. that, like, I mean, it could have been, I, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's a it's a cop thing probably more than it is a <laughs> circular object motif. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I found it, like, funny that right off the bat, and in a well-natured way, that James Marsden, and I think it's easy because he's not schlubby. He's extremely handsome. So to have this like handsome small town cop who also loved donuts was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, I feel like I think there are some things that this screenplay does that are not the most trite, common things, choices mm-hmm. to make. And I feel like cops who love donuts are a little bit too trite. So I, I want to believe that there was that extra sonic element that made them choose donuts yeah. rather than some other fixation like on coffee or something. No, I think you're you're probably right. Probably right. And also, too, I just want to say shout-outs to Adam Pally for playing the other cop. It was pretty funny. Oh, okay. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah. The Deus Ex Machina cop. 
right? Because he comes in at that last minute and saves the day. No, no, no. He's at the beginning. He's on the walkie-talkie with him. Yeah, but at the end, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, because he shoots one bullet. He shoots one bullet and yeah. then stops something somehow. And yeah. Yeah. All right, last one. This is also one you can call bullshit on. Sonic uses his speed to run away from connection in life. Tom is stuck in a dead-end job as a speed trap cop. Clever or not so clever? Oh, okay. Why not? Okay. All Why right. not? All right. Um, it's it's fun enough. Yeah. I don't know. The this yeah. It was made for those kids screaming in your theater, man. I'm telling you. They were so happy. There was things. One of the biggest laughs in the the room I was in was the scene where Tom won't give him a ride to San Francisco, and he says, "You know, run that way, and you'll you'll hit it." And then he immediately comes back with kelp and a fish on his hair because he's ran into the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And then he dries himself off with his speed shake and his hair goes puffy. These children were laughing so hard. <laughs> they were laughing the way I laughed when I was like 16 and saw my first episode of Jackass and couldn't believe that existed. Yeah. And it made it enjoyable. I mean, they threw in some some fun jokes for mom and dad as well. I thought the uh, Natasha Rothwell character who played um, Mrs. Wachowski's sister Mm-hmm. Tom's sister-in-law, mm-hmm. very funny. I mean, just a wonderful comedic actor in general. Yeah, it was a little. It felt tonally a little bit weird, but she was funny. Um, yeah. She acknowledged at one point after she was tied up and mocked by her own child that she needed to go to the bathroom in her pants. Oh yeah, I also like the Fitbit joke. Just oh like, If you're yeah. gonna run around, might as well put on my Fitbit so I can get my steps. Yeah. Which more about your technology thing? Yeah, there we go. But that was fun. I think that's also why I enjoy the San Francisco part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, what did you think about where? Are there more questions in this game? No, that was it. Okay. Um, well, then just here's how I feel about the game in general. Oh, okay. Great. It was fun. That Thank was you. fun. I enjoyed it. Um, what did you think about the uh, Roadhouse fight scene? <laughs> I, I was actually going to ask you if you think it was actually a direct, deliberate allusion to Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Because it's it's a road yeah. it's a road movie. This is a road movie, and instead of instead of Sonic the Outsider partying it up with some roadsters who then kick him out, it's Pee Wee Herman mm-hmm. who parties up with some bikers who then kick him out. There uh, might have been, although I think that's a, a because tri- well, there's another. I mean, I do you think that the sorry to interrupt, but like so when Sonic hides among the balls in the attic to not be seen, that's definitely a an allusion to E.T. hiding yeah, amongst definitely. the stuffed animals. So I do think that there are some deliberate nods to these allusions Oh, here. for sure. I think yeah. the E.T. thing was was very clear, like the the alien hiding amongst the stuffed animals and needing to, like, well, wanting to leave and go home and struggling to find out where his home really was, for sure. Yeah. Um, and the government being after them for testing. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I kept thinking about during the, I guess, like, fight scene in the roadhouse was the difference between, and I'm going to sound... Like, I'm stoned here, but I'm not. Although I did see a lot of people in the comments were talking about 420, so shouts to y'all. Maybe this will make sense to you. Um, Is this line between incredible speed and slowing time down and the question of temporality? I actually saw this movie with a friend who was a physics major. (laughs) And who I I wasn't, but he was a physics major who who had taken an edible before he saw Sonic and what he wanted to talk about afterwards. He must have loved it. He he enjoyed parts of it and was very concerned about others, but it was interesting because it you know earlier in the film, when Sonic first runs by Tom's cop car, doesn't he go like two ninety seven at first? 
Uh, yeah, I remember the number. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it was it was something on the lower end, but then the speed at which you would have to travel to do everything he did would, I think, be like the speed of light. Well, especially the time where he's like, go west. And, he's like, and then a yeah. second later, he has all this kelp all over him because he went to the ocean. He instantly went from Montana to the ocean. But if one, and someone who knows science better will correct me on this, but if you're going at the speed of light, you're moving concurrently with light. So you're almost like moving at such a rate where you're 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 parallel with time as we experience it. So he's he was able to basically freeze things like Zach Morris and Save by the Bell. Mm-hmm. So there is this interesting question of like the the limits of this power, how it works, and then what is the difference between going fast and going so fast that you literally are slowing time down. I hope that your friend, after all those, <laughs> after after all those kids had a great time at the movie, I hope he just said, "All right, nobody move," and I want to explain why this isn't funny, guys. It was the person at the arc light was very upset when they're like, "Not today." I need to give a lecture. He pulled out his his pen thing, but so, I think that was so, yeah. no. That's interesting. I will say one thing about those. So you're talking about Sonic. He speeds through the bar fight and everything is in slow mo around him, and then he does the same thing when Doctor Robotnik is shooting those missiles and bullets at him, right? Yeah, it's it's not even that he's he's moving so fast that to him the the experience of time is that much slower yeah so so his use of so his experience of temporality differs from ours i'll stop at this i know this sounds like it's too much (laughs) but he because of this speed it means he's able to exist in the same type of linear temporality that you and i are able to experience or you know seconds by seconds minutes by minutes but he could also in one second of our time completely reorganize our studio yeah put us in dumb outfits put some peanut butter on, on our fingers or whatever and to him that single second for us would be minutes to do things have you seen x-men days of future past or x-men apocalypse i didn't see apocalypse okay well both of them have yeah. a scene with quicksilver that's yeah. essentially the same thing and i remember that was the best scene in days of future past yeah. and then i felt like it was a little bit too much fan service when they did it again in apocalypse which is just not a good movie that's why i did uh, too yeah, so I, I kind of felt like, uh, man, not only was this already done, but it was already done, and it was the most memorable part of that movie. And so that part kind of bummed me out a little yeah. bit. But I don't know. I but thought it's that, so appropriate for Sonic. So Once I again, really, it's Sonic, and yeah. I do think, and this is my fault, what I'm about to say is, I just, whenever, I, I want to understand the powers. Mm-hmm. Any character, a, a superhero, an alien, a video game character turned into a film character, I just want to have some understanding of, of how it works. Yeah. And, and this sometimes makes me a bad person, <laughs> to see a movie with um i definitely think one of my biggest problems with the the recent star wars trilogy is there's so much stuff that it's just like not explained how it works yeah, yeah, yeah. and it really bothers me i just wanted to know a little bit more yeah about that and then were we meant to believe in the final chase scene that the power from the single quill then allowed robotnik that same same speed and power because when they're doing the ring chase on like the Great Wall of China and the pyramids, at one point I did think they were going to blow up the Seven Wonders of the World, and I started to get very upset. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to say because like at what point? I guess the real question is, what speed is the camera going? Yeah. <laughs> ah, sorry, I'm bringing up dumb stoner stuff from someone it's, that okay. like all right, it's like it's Neil all... deGrasse Tyson over here. Like, actually, um, all right, I have one last yeah. question. I think maybe then we should go into the mailbag. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I'm sure I'm not the first person to bring this up, but so he he'll use the rings to escape to a gross, smelly world filled with mushrooms. Like, mm-hmm. how could you not? 
at least I thought like, oh, is this like a Mario thing? Like, are they jabbing at Mario? Oh. But but it's not the Mushroom Kingdom because at the end, Robotnik is there, and it doesn't look anything like Mario related. But when I first heard that, I was like, oh, haha, they're kind of you know I know that. Sonic has appeared in a lot of Nintendo games, so I thought there might have been yeah. some something copacetic working relationship between the two of them, and that we might actually see Sonic, or some sort of like Mario Sonic extended universe or something like that. But God, I, I, I didn't think even that, think you, about you think that. it's a coincidence, or do you think that that's a thing? Now that you've said it, it's hard to believe that, that would be a coincidence. Yeah, because um, like, why mushrooms? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you why. I hope mushrooms, because I want a sequel. In which we start with Robotnik on the mushroom planet discovering the the hallucinogenic effects of those <laughs> mushrooms, and we have like a half hour trip sequence where he figures out a bunch of science stuff while having a hallucinatory experience yeah. with a crazy psychedelic background. Yeah, I'm sure the seven year olds would love that. <laughs> no, they they would, and I'll give you a quick anecdote to prove this. Uh, I went to the theater when the SpongeBob movie first came out, it's like early 2000s, mm-hmm. and I think it was in my my late teens at that point, and there was two older gentlemen in front of me who were laughing and crying throughout the film. Um, and I didn't understand it. And someone later told me they those guys took acid mm. and went to see the SpongeBob movie. The kids loved it. The adult men on Hallucinogenics loved it. Hmm. The teen that was me on No Substances, but Popcorn loved it. Okay. It's kind of a win-win-win. That but, sounds like a win all around. But if I can say, just before we get to the mailbag, yeah. I do want to say that I think the Carrie performance is, is Dr. Robotnik. To yes. me, at least kind of undermined the tone of the film because the tonal choices of his scenes I thought were so good that it seemed like there's another film that's more of like an absurdist masterpiece that really leans Mm. into that character and I kind of wanted to see that a little bit more Um, a movie that's more oriented around that and maybe a world that reflected him rather than Robotnik being a character who was so singular yeah I like the I think you can see Robotnik existing in the first world Mm-hmm. The trippy looking world. And if, exactly. we had, and if we had stayed there, it might be the Robotnik tone throughout. And I think, so, you know, if anyone's listening who's making the second film, I mean, pay us money for all this, but <laughs> do maybe maybe start there. Or maybe, go back at least. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on your end on this one? No. I mean, we've talked for what, yeah. like 40 something minutes about Sonic the Hedgehog. Seven I hours. feel really proud of ourselves. Yeah. Everyone should be impressed with us, I think, because yeah. this we really pulled all the meat off the bone. It's like taking one chicken wing and having a full dinner out of it. Yeah. Um, it was a fun 90 minute chicken wing. Uh, and also, I think some people are helping us figure some things out in the comments, and I can't wait to look at them later. Thank you so much. So let's start. Do you want to start with a, a email? And yeah, we'll we, got, we got an email. Sorry I'm a little bit behind on all these emails, getting back into the swing of things. But we did get one from Pavilon about Parasite. So if you haven't seen Parasite, spoilers ahead. Pavilon says, hey, Wisecrack, I know this is uh, about two months after your Parasite podcast, but I just have to give my input on the whole rock thing. I'm not saying your take is wrong per se, but as someone from Asian descent, I personally think that the rock is supposed to represent hope and is a wealth good luck charm. The stone is supposed to be compared to the planned speech that the dad gives. The rock works by giving the family hope, especially Kevin, that money or better days will come to them eventually. In a sense, they're hoping for unearned wealth. The rock keeps clinging to Kevin because it gives him the false hope that he will get all that he deserves after he marries the wealthy man's daughter, which is why at the party he asks if he fits in at that setting. He has no earned justification that he belongs in that society. Everything to Kevin is just one day I will, just like with the diploma. 
So in the end of the movie, when he discards the rock, it's supposed to symbolize him throwing away the dream to get unearned wealth to begin to actually plan for your future he will, where he will become wealthy. So yeah, that's just my read on what the rock was supposed to represent. Love the podcast from Pavilion. So I had not gotten anyone to really explain to me what it means when he puts it away, but I like the idea of it just being luck that he's clinging mm-hmm. on to, that things will come to me. And then yeah. when he puts the rock away, he realizes that I will have to pursue it being wealth. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think there's something there. And I think that rock kind of symbolized a, a type of hope that I think, sadly, Parasite tells us might not exist. Yeah. Um, that that life is a... And life under capitalism is a nitty-gritty series of machinations that we have to participate in um, following the rules of the system and hoping for the best, and there's not, like, a magical way out. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the logic of movies is often that there is always the magic, the hope, the friendship, the high-five at the end of the chase. Mm, I and, like that. Yeah, and I think that, that that's what happens. He puts the rock away, and he puts puts the fantasy away. I like that. Yeah. All right, so if you guys want to send us an email, you know, talking about whether Sonic's arms are in fact blue or tan, talking about other Sonic's things, the illusions, the references that we missed, hit us up at movies at wisecrack.co. Otherwise, we've also got some voicemails. You can hit us up at 213-534-8807. That's 21-ELF-HUT-07. I believe both of them are about Jojo Rabbit, which I haven't seen. Is that correct? Yes, but just right now in in your head, imagine exactly what you think it's about. And confidently respond to anything okay. with that. So, okay. um, so we have one. This is from Hannah on Jojo Rabbit. Hi, uh, this is Hannah. Just finished listening to the Jojo Rabbit podcast of Show, the, Show Me the Meaning, and uh, I was really interested in what you were saying about the uh, Freudian and Lacanian concepts of the cultural superego. Um, and just was thinking that uh, the father or masculine figure um, who's absent, uh, Jojo's father being absent is filled in by potentially three other masculine figures. We've got the Hitler imaginary friend who fully embodies that obsessive um, imagination filling in the gaps in his life. Um, But then potentially Sam Rockwell's character as another father figure who I think there might be an argument to be made that he is uh, coded as queer with Alfie Allen's character. So I wondered what you made of that. And also, I think the third potentially sort of masculine uh, character that comes into it is the moment when Scarlett Johansson's character smears her face with the soot and takes on the role of both father and mother. That's a really good question. Uh, Thank you so much for that, Hannah. That's a good observation. So we kind of... If I may just interject, I just want to say that she used two buzzwords, Lacan and obsessive, and I know that she's reacting to something Austin said. I'm not going to say who said what. <laughs> no, we're not here to snitch. We're here to... Yeah, uh, but I think a uh, really good point. We talked a bit in this movie about how there's a young boy searching for father figures. And, you, you know, you've coded with all these father illusions in a movie about World War II in Germany, the fatherland, of course. Um, and, I, I, Dan, I have nothing else to say other than I think you are right. I, I agree with that reading of the film. And I think in a lot of ways the film gets at this idea of if there isn't a father figure here meant in that Freudian Lacanian sense, so not always the literal father, but some point of cultural orientation or logical orientation, uh, that's where bad stuff can slip in. I think one thing the, the Jojo Rabbit gets at is this young kid that isn't sure what his father figure is, his actual father is gone, how that kind of leads into this temptation of Nazism. Mm. So that was good. Um, also, well, that makes me want to see the movie. Yeah, or you could earmuff it. If you don't have anything spoiled, 
Uh, no, no, no. It's fine. <laughs> okay. It's uh, definitely worth seeing. Um, and also, I'll say that since we talked about it in the last episode, it won um, Best Adapted Screenplay, Screenplay at the Oscars yeah. for Taika Waititi. And well, we didn't mention Parasite doing a straight cleanup. Oh, yes. We will say that as well. Parasite did a cleanup. It was awesome. If you were watching the Oscars, you were freaking out. If you weren't freaking out, you weren't paying attention. Yeah. Um, so... Listen, if we talk about a movie and break it down, it's going to win awards. What can I say? <laughs> so uh, one more uh, uh, voicemail for Jojo Rabbit, and this is from Jacob. Show me the meaning wise crack crew. Jacob, again, calling in regards to your Jojo Rabbit podcast. Me and my friend, we saw this theater at a, at a selective theater showing it, and we were very interested in it. And what my opinion of the movie is is that I thought it was a coming of age story of a of a child in Germany and a very dark time in Germany's history, and it got me thinking about like 1917 did about what a war movie is and what it should be now. We're done with the combat, the fights, and we know what World War II is. It was all about the fights, us against an ideology. It's time for us to actually see how people were under that ideology. I would like, we know what it was like in some World War II movies under Soviet Russia. We need more of living under Nazi Germany. What was it like living in, especially in America around that time? Okay, so that's a good point. So we've talked about two war movies. We did 1917 and then Jojo Rabbit. Neither of which really get at like what people's lives were like during the thick of it. Um, Jojo Rabbit sort of shows us... Um, a kind of calm scene towards the end of World War II. Things aren't going that well for the Germans, but things on the ground seem normal. And of course, in 19, did you see 1917? Yeah. Yeah, so we know 1917, I mean, we're really just seeing the lives of these two young men. Um, so I think that's an interesting idea, uh, Jacob, that some of these films haven't gotten into like life on the ground. And I think that idea too of like life in America during these times. Mm. So it's a good point. Um, I do have to say one thing. Mm. Someone in the chat pointed out that we left out one of the most important things about Sonic. Okay. The Olive Garden. Oh, yeah. What, uh, <laughs> I just had to at least bring that up. So I don't know if this is actually established somewhere. Maybe someone in the chat can tell yeah. us, like, is it actually paid advertisement? It or... has to be. It has to be hey, paid. We, we, I mean, we've gone into situations where, remember remember our Bo Burnham video where we Oops. were talking about Taco, you specifically wrote that, and we were talking about Taco Bell, and everyone thought we were sponsored by Taco Bell, and we were like, no, no, we, we just think Taco Bell's funny. So, yeah. I mean, it's possible. It is. And, and Olive Garden does have that kind of unique cultural thing where it's kind of an ironic joke if you go to the Olive Garden because it's kind of an amazing deal and I just you enjoy that, it more than you want to admit. That type of joke though, the joke of like, haha, lowbrow cultural food thing is funny. When we do it in a Bo Burnham video at Wisecrack, that's gold. <laughs> uh, that's where you want to see that. That We might have even already hit the peak of that and that, that could be over. I just need a little bit better in a movie that has a budget like that. Um, for one of the pivotal, it's like a pivotal wouldn't joke at the end. I don't know. Wouldn't it be funny if literally the Olive Garden paid for all of the CGI corrections to make Sonic look more like the video game character? But that was their deal. They were like, we'll correct all this. But at a pivotal scene at the end of the movie, a Olive Garden gift card for $50 has to be symbolically important. Uh, if they did that, both of them got a good deal. Wow. Final question of the day. When's the last time you've eaten at the Olive Garden? 2011. Wow. You knew exactly. That's great. Yeah. I'm probably 2008, maybe. And I enjoyed it. There's really no reason I haven't gone back. Okay, so... You know, unlimited breadsticks, it's just not safe, man. 
it's not and i have a whole bread thing i won't get into it now bread at restaurants is a scam it fills you up so you don't get to eat the good stuff you should never eat the bread they put out also they reuse well, it's bread literally at just bread and pasta yeah you know the unlimited thing is a joke unless you're unless you're matt stoney not into it so along with emailing and calling and letting us <laughs> what you thought about sonic let us know about any olive garden experiences you've had yes, as well please. i would love that I think we did it. All right, we did it. We talked about Sonic the Hedgehog for almost an hour. I want to thank Michael uh, for joining me on this. This was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed the movie a little bit more after this discussion. We're going to be back, I believe, in two weeks. Yes. Maybe a week. I don't know. We'll two see. weeks. Anyway, guys, uh, great to be back and great to be here with Michael, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Peace. Peace.